Coming up on Golf Today, Tiger Woods has a new role with the PGA Tour in this fast-changing world of professional golf. What will he do? And after a long silence, what did he say today about the future of the PGA Tour? Inside the ropes, it's the last chance saloon at the Wyndham for players like Justin Thomas. Can JT get on the right side of the top 70, or will his bubble burst? You will hear from JT coming up. And a win by seven, Saturday night ice cream, and a phone call with Nick Saban. Life is good for Lee Hodges after trouncing the field at the 3M. And now he gets to chat with us. Happy, happy, joy, joy. It's golf today. Golf today. Golf today on a Tuesday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week magazine. If you've learned anything over the last couple of years, there are no quiet days in professional golf anymore. No days off. News is almost always happening somewhere, and that includes today. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan and the Tour's player members, player directors, and player advisory council members have announced a new agreement to ensure that the Tour lives up to its mission of being a player-driven organization, quote, for the players, by the players, end quote. As part of the new transparency and governance measures in the agreement, Tiger Woods has agreed to join the Tour Policy Board as a sixth player director. The tour's new board will include six player directors, five independent directors, and the PGA of America director. This quote from Tiger Woods, I am honored to represent the players of the PGA Tour. This is a critical point for the tour, and the players will do their best to make certain that any changes that are made in tour operations are in the best interest of all tour stakeholders, including fans, sponsors, and players. The players thank Commissioner Monaghan for agreeing to address our concerns, and we look forward to being at the table with him to make the right decisions for the future of the game that we all love. He has my confidence moving forward with these changes. And PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan also released a statement saying Tiger's voice and leadership throughout his career have contributed immeasurably to the success of the PGA Tour and to apply both to our governance and go-forward plan if this crucial time is even more welcomed and impactful. I'm committed to taking the necessary steps to restore any lost trust or confidence that occurred as a result of the surprise announcement of our framework agreement. My job in the negotiations, in partnership with our player directors, PAC and the broader membership, is to advocate for what is best for PGA Tour members today and in the future. Any agreement we reach must be shaped by our members' input and approval earned through our player directors. And with more on the news of the day, we're going to welcome in Todd Lewis from the Wyndham Championship. Todd, what more can you tell us about the reaction to this? Well, I can tell you the news of this has been percolating for the last couple of days and finally became a reality today. And talking to members of the Player Advisory Council and talking to members of the PGA Tour Policy Board, having Tiger on the PGA Tour Policy Board was initiated by Tiger Woods. Woods, like other players on the PGA Tour, was upset in regards to the announcement in June that the PGA Tour has a framework agreement with the PIF from Saudi Arabia in trying to work out a deal so the two could work together. Mainly he was upset, and other players have been, because the PGA Tour policy board members, two of them specifically, along with Jay Monahan, and those policy board members are independent directors, not players, made the decision without the players having any voice. Now, Tiger reached out to the PGA Tour saying, Players must have a voice in big decisions like this, and thus he worked it out with the PGA Tour and Jay Monahan to be on the PGA Tour policy board. Two days ago, Tiger called a meeting with the PAC, the Player Advisory Council, and the PGA Tour policy board members to announce he is going to be a part of the policy board. And, of course, it was a unanimous thumbs up by all of those members. This, according to the players that we talked to today, is a positive move for the membership of the PGA Tour. It means a lot. I think it's it's very clear um, where the game of golf is and where it's headed. Um, it's it's important to him. You know, I think it's whether he's been vocal about it or not. I think he has some, but you know, when when Arnold and Jack kind of pass the torch to him, uh, you know, that's not something that he takes lightly, and it's very important to have the the betterment of the entire membership and and the game of golf and the PGA Tour. Um, to have 
that thought first and, and think of the, the best possibilities. And uh, yeah, there's I don't think there's anybody else I'd want uh, speaking speaking on my behalf and, and the rest of the guys. Does this maybe solidify or maybe bridge the gap, I should say, between some players and the tour that may have been a wide, you know, chasm a few minutes ago? I don't know. I mean, there's you're never going to make everybody happy. That's right. something that I've I've definitely learned as I've maybe become a little bit more involved or. Um, I don't know if vocal's the right word, but just kind of being in the know a little bit more is that you're just never going to please everybody. But it's just, unfortunately, it's about the majority and what's best for the entire PGA Tour. And, um, and yeah, I think that that's – I would like to hope and think that the, that the membership and everybody has – understands that that is what Tiger has in mind, um, especially with him, you know, clearly not playing as much and, and who knows what his future holds but um i mean we got to keep him busy somehow he can't just sit on the couch <laughs> and do nothing so uh i know he'll be taking it very seriously like he does everything else yeah i think that was a, a bold and um really Im impressive uh commitment on his part to to want to be a part of, of the governance and and to ask for and and uh demand transparency of of what's been happening but also what's what's going to happen clearly he wants to be involved and be, a, and be a part of this which i think is awesome clearly he's the face of our game for the last 20 years and um, for him to still be this involved and still wanting to represent us and our fans and, and uh, our sponsors and mostly you know the future generations of the game i think is very honorable it also gives uh, players six votes on the board compared to five independents so the players have the majority on the board how important is that you know, when I was on the board in 17, 18, 19, we, we kind of trusted the independent directors with the important business decisions, and they trusted us with the important golf decisions. It was a nice symbiotic relationship, but now clearly there's been some uh, uh, unique circumstances, I would say. So um, as far as how the voting exactly goes, as far as what percentage needs to be, is it just majority, does it have to be 100%? I'm not exactly sure if it's different on different types of uh, decision making, but um, it doesn't hurt to have, have Tiger on your side, that's for sure. The agreement and transparency, I mean, I think the tour's been working hard uh, for a few years on transparency, obviously. Uh, through the framework agreement, it wasn't ideal, but uh, I think it's great that our top players want to be part of the decision making, want to be part of the board, and that's uh, the direction we're going. Uh, Tiger Woods, Adam Scott coming in next year. Patrick Cantley, Jordan Spieth Pryor. Uh, it's it's great to see our top players, our future players of the PGA Tour want to be a part of the decision making. Was this Tiger's idea to be a part of the board? As far as I know, it was all Tiger, uh, and which is, I don't know if uh, if we would ask him if he would have wanted to, but I think since it was his idea, I think it was a great idea. What does it mean having his voice on that board? He, I mean, he's the most powerful voice in the game of golf, I think. I mean, you, you could argue Jay's is, but I... If you don't do something that Tiger wants, I mean, he, he I mean, you, get, you talk about the few, or the previous uh, ambassadors, which were obviously you got the Arnold Palmer's, Jack Nicholas's, and that would say paved the path for Tiger Woods. But Tiger Woods has done more for golf than arguably anybody. And uh, to have him sit in those meetings now, I think is very powerful. And I think his voice will be listened to. After the framework agreement was announced, a lot of players openly and vocally said that they felt betrayed and they didn't trust the tour and Jay Monahan. Does this bridge the gap? It's a start. It's definitely a start. I think this is our best move we've made in the, in the last few months for the PGA Tour, and I think it's uh, on the back of Tiger coming up with it, and I think he wants to be part uh, of the PGA Tour going forward, which is uh, unbelievable. Now, ever since returning from his leave of absence, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, his mission statement has been trying to rebuild the trust of the players who, like I said earlier, felt betrayed, felt like that Jay has to earn that trust back after making that announcement, this framework agreement, without any player having any voice in that situation. I asked Charlie Hoffman, was this a good move by Jay? And Charlie said he really had no choice. Well, Tiger Woods has never been a part of the government of the PGA Tour. He's never been a member of the Player Advisory Council. Now he has a seat at the player board. And what a voice it is, the biggest in the game, and it is very impactful. Well, believe it or not, there's actually some news going on outside the ropes, or inside the ropes, I should say, in this game. Coming up, we're going to hear from a man who's trying to make the cut 
for both the playoffs and the Ryder Cup squad. We'll ask if Justin Thomas has a shot at either one next. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back on golf today, here's what you need to know. On this Tuesday, the Wyndham Championship is the final event of the regular season on the PGA Tour. And then after this week, the top 70 players on the FedEx Cup eligibility list will advance to the three-week PGA Tour playoffs that culminate with the Tour Championship August 24th through the 27th. Now, this is down from the 125 players that previously qualified for the playoffs. So what's at stake in the FedEx Cup playoffs? You reach the playoffs, the top 70 entering the FedEx St. Jude Championship, the top 70 fully exempt for 2024, and then 71 through 125 are finalized in the fall and exempt in the full field events, and players 51 and beyond carry FedEx Cup points in the fall to finalize eligibility. When you reach that second playoff event, the top 50 entering the BMW Championship, opportunity to reach the Tour Championship, top 50 fully exempt for 2024 season and eligible for the eight designated events. Getting good, isn't it? Then you reach the final event, top 30 entering the Tour Championship, compete in the Tour Championship, vie for the FedEx Cup title and all the gold and riches. Top 30 fully exempt for the 2024 season, eligible for the eight designated events and the two-year Tour exemption, exemption in the 2024 Masters, U.S. Open, and the Open. And Damon, there are a lot of big names outside of that top 70 cutoff point right now. Here you see several major champions. Shane Lowry there at 76, Justin Thomas at 79th, Adam Scott, 81st, has also got to make a case for himself this week. So with more on the Bubble Boys as they were, we're going to head back out to Sedgefield Country Club where Todd Lewis has been catching up with some guy living on the edge. And the biggest name is Justin Thomas, who needs a solo third or better to advance to the FedEx Cup playoffs. So that's what he is gunning for here this week. But he has missed the cut in five of his last seven starts on the PGA Tour. But we now know what he needs to do in regards to the future here at the Wyndham Championship. But I want to take you to the past. 14 years ago, when Justin Thomas was just 16 years of age, he played the Wyndham Championship as his very first PGA Tour event. He earned a spot after winning a prominent junior tournament here, and he played well. An opening round shot of 65. He actually made the cut, but was disappointed he didn't compete and try to win. Here's what 16-year-old Justin Thomas had to say after his final round here at the Wyndham. He made history today, the third youngest ever to make the cut on the PGA Tour. Nice. How does that feel? Uh, it feels cool. I actually didn't even know until they told me over there. I guess now I can have some positive to my day, but <laughs> I mean, it's neat making the cut, but unfortunately I just had a bad back nine, which kind of threw me out of a, you know, actually giving the leaders a run for their money. <laughs> a lot of people are, you know, just tell me have fun and do all this, but I came here to do well in every tournament like I do. So you're not happy to be here. You wanted to compete. Yeah. I mean, it's a tournament. Why shouldn't I just come here and have fun? Wanted to do the best I can. 
Yeah, it was fun inter interviewing 16-year-old Justin Thomas 14 years ago. I actually showed that interview to JT about an hour ago, and he was laughing about the comments that he was making as a teenager, saying, man, I was tough on myself then, just like I am right now. But he did walk down memory lane, and we talked about those special moments from 2009 and how he hopes to maybe have a teenage-type mentality here this week with everything on the line. I remember, I just, I can't believe it was 14 years ago. Like, that's, it's, it's insane. Uh, I, I just, I remember I, I had a lot of love and passion um, and drive for the game and to play professional golf, but I, I remember it being another level after that. Um, just the, you know, I mean, this isn't, this isn't a major, but it's still a PGA Tour event. There's, there's people out here. It was, um, and playing in front of them and hearing the roars and like signing autographs like it's I mean I'm getting goosebumps kind of thinking about it it just was I remember leaving and being like I uh this is what I want to do this is uh that was one of the coolest weeks of my life what mindset did that 16 year old have what emotional capacity did he have compared to where you are now <laughs> I would like to think I'm uh a little bit more mature than I was then. Uh, I've seen some of my interviews from that week, and it is just, it is, it's cringeworthy watching it. It's, it's like your typical 16-year-old that uh, maybe doesn't read the situation quite as well. But I've always had high expectations and wanted a lot. So when I, uh, you know, when it didn't go how I wanted, I, I wore it on my sleeve uh, or maybe on my face too. But uh, not wearing orange shirts anymore, that's for sure. I've, no, I've always noticed that. But I. Man, it's just to, you know, it's enjoying enjoying the game of golf and, and just uh, kind of embracing it. And I'm trying to learn now like I was trying to learn then and uh, and make the most out of any situation and play the best I can. It's just at a, a little different level. Final thing, given the position you are in, do you hope to have that 16-year-old mentality then or do you want to keep the one you have? I, I want to do a little bit of both. I mean, I... I coming here when you have nothing to lose is 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 a little different but I also feel like I have I've it's kind of crazy nothing to lose this week I mean I have a lot to lose and a lot to prove but um you know this is I, I I'm really really embracing this situation and and I love it I mean it's it's just kind of been a little bit not eye-opening but solidified to me you know about the sport and I think you know everybody just assumes you're you're where you are you're you know the you're going to stay there. It's always going to be great, but it's just, it's golf. Like it's, um, I'm really, really close to playing some really, really good golf. And if I don't play well this week, then I'm not going to be able to show that for a while. So that's something I just want to go out and have some fun and try to get in contention and see if we can try to win this tournament and, you know, have the potential to have one of the coolest endings in a, in the season of a PGA tour. So, um, but that starts when I tee it up on Thursday. You know, going back to 2009 when I was interviewing Justin Thomas, I walked away from that interview and I said, wow, that kid is confident slash cocky, but obviously a tremendous belief. He's had a Hall of Fame type career. Uh, he's a two-time major champion. I would say heading into the Wyndham Championship here this week, he still has that confidence, but also a nice blend of humility in the fact that he does embrace the moment right now. He enjoys the pressure of this situation. He's now got to go out there and perform. And one thing he has to do better here at Sedgefield, he's got to putt better on very challenging Donald Ross greens. If he can putt at least 50% better than he did last week or over the last two months, he's got his chance to advance to the FedEx Cup playoffs. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Big-time players will need to hustle this week in North Carolina. For more, Lou Rivera, senior manager, Shot League Graphics for the PJ Tour, joins us now. Let's talk about some of these big names, Louie. What is like an Adam Scott, a, a Justin Thomas, a Billy Horschel? What do they have to do this week? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is where we get all giddy here at the PGA Tour. Uh, we've been waiting all year for this. Um, we are very, very excited. And um, we've got the playoffs next week, but this is the uh, the uh, the end here for everybody trying to uh, to make it to uh, to the first playoff event. Uh, so let me let me hit you off with a couple of uh, history nuggets for you. So this uh, this field is unbelievable as far as the denseness of it. Uh, we have 37 of the top 70 in the FedEx Cup standings are in the field here this week. That's the most in the FedEx Cup era. It was previously 29 before that. Uh, 47 players between 50th and 100th of the FedEx Cup. And uh, in that range, it's the most in the last 12 years. So it's pretty incredible stuff this week. Uh, the guys have a lot to play for, obviously. Um, and like you're talking about, the bubble. We have some big names in there. Justin Thomas, Shane Lowry, uh, Adam Scott, um, Billy Horschel, a past FedEx Cup champion that's... that's um, you know, also down the list. Um, so what what we have going on, we've got the bubble is at 594 points as of right now. Um, the 70th player is Austin Eckroot. So as history shows, unfortunately, the last three guys that have been on the bubble at Wyndham have not made the, uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs. However, plenty of things can change. There's a lot of players that have, but uh, hopefully uh, Austin can uh, break that break that uh, streak. Louis, obviously a player who wins takes care of everything out here, but in terms of other guys who need to play their way in, what's a realistic churn that we can expect this week in terms of guys moving in and out? So, so right now with um, the projections that we've looked at, looking at, we've got five to six spots that we think can be filled here um, just from past history and uh, just looking at all of our data and going through everything. We, we think that it's like five or six that we're going to have uh, uh, some movement there. So, I mean, it could be zero. So you just, you never know uh, for guys like Justin Thomas uh, right now, if uh, things, you know, stay the way they are and he needs a solo 18th finish. However, it's likely that he needs a, a top five finish once things start getting going in the uh, in the event and um, all the projections are made. All of our live shot link data is is in the system and all the projections are coming out. So once things start moving, it's it's pretty likely that he would need a top five finish this week. But uh, let's see how things play out. He might not not need that great of a finish. Matt Kutcher's high rather. Well, Matt Kuchar's been at this, Louie, a long time. As you know, had a very nice run at the match play in Austin. What's at stake for a player like Matt Kuchar this week? It's pretty incredible, guys. Um, so in the last 16 years of the FedEx Cup, more than 2,700 players have uh, participated in the FedEx Cup. Uh, Kuchar and Adam Scott are attempting to accomplish this feat that no one has in the last, you know, 16 years. They're trying to qualify for the 17th year every single season of the FedEx Cup. Pretty cool stuff. Right now, Kucher is in a very, very nice position at 59th, I believe. So he's in a very, very great, great spot. We've got Adam Scott in the 81st position. So he uh, he needs to make a move this week. Um, Right now, we're projecting uh, it needs, uh, if everything stays the way it is, a, a T ninth or better. But he, he probably needs a likely finish inside the top four, uh, top three even, to, uh, to get a bid, to get into that top 70. To what extent are players given this information, Louis? Are they told in advance what is necessary to make the top 70, or is that information available to them should they ask for it? Well, uh, that's a great question. Um, others may be jockey around this question a little bit, but 
We do get questions uh, from plenty of uh, plenty of players uh, that get you know kind of trickled down to us. Uh, a lot of us, you know, know some of the players too, so maybe they kind of ask you a few things on the side. But one thing that we never say is no player is never locked to get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. So that's one thing that's told, and and uh, you know it's never a lock. You kind of got to see how things play out and uh, see how things go and. Uh, this event's going to be very, very exciting. I think it's going to be one of the best Wyndham championships that we ever, we've ever had. Uh, it's setting up for one of the best FedEx Cup playoffs that we've ever had. Um, it's going to be really neat to, uh, to see how it all shakes down. Uh, but we're in, a, we're in a great spot right now for a very exciting event. Oh, you know, Louie's phone is blowing up this week. Phone calls, text messages, direct messages. As well, Louis. Thanks for the time, but it was great seeing you in England, by the way, uh, during the Absolutely. Open. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Well, as we just learned, it's a week on the brink for a lot of players this week of the Wyndham Championship, including Ben Griffin. He's just inside the all-important top 70 for the playoffs. But can he stay there? He'll join us next to talk about life on the bubble. Great to have Ben with us today from the Wyndham now, Ben, I want to ask you, what's the value of momentum? You finished T20 last week. How much is that kind of carrying you into North Carolina with some good vibes? Yeah, it's huge. Anytime you can get any sort of momentum from a previous week and build some confidence, it, it helps. And, you know, we, we look back one year ago, I had a good finish here at the Wyndham. So I've got good vibes from last year. feel uh, very comfortable at this golf course. It's a course I'm very familiar with from junior golf. Uh, through college, and I'm um, very excited for the week and, and what's at stake. Yeah, Ben, you finished fourth last year on this golf course. That has to give you confidence, but have you looked at any of these permutations that will keep you inside that all-important top 70, or are you just kind of ignoring the math and going to go out there and do your job? Yeah, I mean, the more I think about that number, the more I'm going to get caught around it. So for me, you know, every week I like to treat it as an individual tournament. I'm trying to, to win, trying to do my preparation the same way I do any other week and try to figure out the best way for me to attack the golf course and play my best golf. So for me going into this week, it's about trying to get in contention, a little motivation from last year, finishing fourth. Um, you know, it's pretty much my home tournament growing up less than an hour away. So it's one I really want to win, and it's one that I'm going to have a lot of family and friends supporting. So it's going to be a really special week. And, yeah, I'm, I'm right there on the bubble. Someone's got to be the bubble boy. I'm, I'm excited to be it. And, um, but, no, I've already looked, and a, a win would move me way, way above top 70. So that's all my focus is, and um, we're just going to shoot for that and see what happens. Well, that's the thing, Ben. In years past, if you were 68th in the FedEx Cup standings at this point, you could kind of pat yourself on the back and say, I've had a, a terrific season. Now you're 68th, and you've got to sweat a little bit this week. So how do you assess your season as a whole? Yeah, it's been a great season. Um, you know, as a rookie, you start your year out not knowing exactly where your starts are going to be. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I got off to a great start. As you mentioned, uh, in Bermuda, had a top finish and was able to get in some events that I wasn't sure I was going to get into um, as we looked into the to the spring playing in the players and I played in two major championships now so I mean as a rookie you can't ask for a whole lot more without being a little greedy so <laughs> for me I, I'm, I'm proud of the way I've, uh, I've played this year I, I definitely want to join a couple of rookies Vincent Norman and uh, Nicholas Echevarria that have won um, would be awesome for me to, to to join those those two guys and get a victory um, and, yeah, I mean, it's been a great season, but it's, it's definitely weird. In years past, I, I grew up coming to this tournament and watching the guys on the 125 number sweat it out. And now being 68, I feel like I've played pretty solid. But, um, you know, I've, somehow I found myself in that same situation I grew up watching. So uh, it'll be a fun week. Um, very excited. And, um, yeah, I'm proud of my year so far. Now, until last year, it was the top 125 made the playoffs. Now we're at 70. Was 125 too high and a 70 too low? Where are you on that question now since you're the guy in the hot seat right now, Ben? Yeah, um, I think the playoffs are, I think having it at 70 is good, personally. Um, I've had some conversations with a few guys, um, talked to Max Holm a little bit about it, and um, I agreed with his thoughts. I mean, I think, you know, the playoffs in other sports, you, you, you cut out about half the half of the league or for us the tour so i mean you're, you're playing with roughly you know 140 to 150 players 160 players a week and so if you cut that in half i mean that should be about where your playoffs start and then it should be kind of an elimination game from there so 
Um, you know, I think having the playoffs at 70 is great. You know, it, making it to East Lake is definitely a, a huge accomplishment. And, uh, you know, you see guys in the past that were kind of right on the bubble of 125 and they have a good first week and all of a sudden they have a good chance of getting to East Lake. I don't think that's indicative of you having a really great year. It's you having a really good week at the right time. So if you want to reward someone for having a great season and also have a playoffs, I think having the 70 number is a great starting point. And if you play well, you, you know you know you're a good player if you're in the top 70 on the PGA Tour and you're capable of making it to East Lake. And you have a good first week in the playoffs. You have a good chance of getting all the way there. So I, I like this current system. I like any system. I like being out here on the PGA Tour competing. Um, I like the challenge, and I think it's going to be a ton of fun. You mentioned Max Homa. He has a lot of perspective, had some tough years in professional golf. You did as well, walked away a few years ago, said you were tired of relying on your parents. You, you found your own way in the financial world. Now you're back. You're playing great. What kind of perspective do you have that can be armor for you this weekend going forward? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is having fun on the golf course. Um, I've caught myself a little bit this summer, not having as much fun as I needed needed to be having. But I feel like I'm in a great, uh, you know, frame of mind right now to go out on the course, have fun. It's having that perspective of working in an office makes me appreciate being out here so much more. I mean, if there if there's ever a bad shot or a bad moment, I kind of try to remind myself of you know where I was <laughs> and the tough times playing at the you know the bottoms of professional golf. So to be to be out here on tour is a blessing and. Having that perspective of, of working and knowing I have the support of my sponsors and family, it, it means the world to me. And um, I'm just doing my best to, to play well for, for people more than myself. So I'm going to have fun this week. And uh, I think my perspective definitely gives me an edge on a lot of these guys. Well, best of luck. Make sure you appoint someone in your family to handle all the ticket requests for your family and buddies. And we'll speak to you soon, Ben. Sounds good. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, our next guest is going to be spending the evening blowing out some birthday candles on the cake and washing it down with some nice wine, but he's got to earn it first. A little hard labor with us. Brad Faxon is in the house. Coming up next. We want to spend a happy birthday. Send a message to our good buddy, one of the best in the business, our colleague at eight-time PGA Tour winner, Brad Faxon, our colleague on Golf Channel and NBC, one of the greatest putters of all time, putting guru, whisperer, got a great short game as well. There he is with Michael Breen. Happy birthday, Brad Faxon. And let's take a look at Brad's career bio, the Haskins Award winner, 40 years ago, Furman University. Eight PGA Tour wins, twice a Ryder Cupper, winner of the Payne Stewart Award back in 2005 and has been a putting coach since 2010 and we're pleased now to be joined by Brad Faxon and Brad I know you're expecting this question how many more birthdays do you need before you're actually going to be able to shoot your age you know I'm either getting closer or much farther away aren't I it's it's one of those things uh, my golf game's getting infinitely worse as I'm getting older so um I, I think one time in my PGA Tour career did I shoot 61 and that was a long time ago at the at the uh, Buick Open Travelers Championship now. And um, the, the, the best solace I have from that, Eamon, is Scotty Cameron sent me this cool head cover. It's got a 62 on it for my age, and I was getting all excited that this was for how old I am, but it's actually the year, year he was born, 1962. <laughs> but I, uh, I like that. That is so cool. Well, you know you're not going to spend any time with us without Eamon giving you a little bit of grief, but I'm going to try to be a little bit kinder. No. As you know, eight wins on the PGA Tour. You beat Phil, the likes of Chip Beck. You beat Tom Lehman, a couple of Ryder Cup appearances. What are you most pleased with and proud of when you look back? Jeez, a, a few things. And thank you. I know your your integrity is a little higher than Amos. <laughs> and um, I, I, I would say there's a couple. Winning a tournament close to your home, I think any player would tell you that the, the tournament that was the CVS Charity Classic or the Pleasant Valley Tournament, uh, which was about 45 minutes from where I grew up in Rhode Island. I won that tournament in 1992. That was a big deal. That was where I got my first start um, in PGA Tour events. Uh, the Mingola family gave me exemptions when I was an amateur. And to win at home, that meant a lot. Um, and I really think the Australian <laughs> Open um, was a big win. That, that was a big tournament back in the 80s and the 90s. The likes of Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, of course, Greg Norman, so many of the great Australian players, Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, that have won that. Um, and to win an international open championship, I don't know, that was that was cool. But the Ryder Cups are 
cool. You know, we got one of those coming up in a couple months to, to represent <laughs> your country in golf. It's fantastic. Brad, speaking of Rory McIlroy, you've been working with him now for five years through a lot of high points. There's been a lot of scrutiny on Rory's putting, particularly in majors, over the course of this year. Do you pay any attention to that, or how easy is it for you and Rory to kind of tune out the noise and work on whatever you're working on? It's funny that you're saying that, Eamon, because I, I talked to him. He called me a couple of days ago. Um, I was up in Rhode Island, and we were talking about that, exactly that, the noise that he gets. Um, you know, he had just won the Scottish Open, uh, which sometimes could add more pressure to a player the next week to, you know, certainly in Rory's respect, they, it makes, puts more pressure on him. He's obvious favorite to win there. And, you know, he, he didn't have a great putting couple days, but he had a great final round and a great putting week. And, you know, when Rory McIlroy finishes fifth in a major, is tied for sixth in a major, the world's going to end according to some of the media. You know, the, the guy's a hell of a player. He hasn't finished out of the top 10 in a tournament. It seems like the last seven events, he's played very well in majors, except for the masters this year. Uh, and I look at it, it, it bugs me to no end. And what particularly bugs me, and I hope whoever put posted this one is listening now, because when an, other instructors want to criticize Rory Stroke or Rory or pot potentially me, when they don't know anything about how a player thinks and what motivates them, what drives them, uh, it's beyond reproach. And uh, I try to never criticize another instructor because I, I, I really honestly feel like they're always trying to help players um, get better. And, and when you go out in that forum to do what some of these instructors do, uh, I don't like it. Brad, speaking of what drives players, I was moved by Rory at the Los Angeles Country Club when he said on Sunday night, I would go through 100 more Sundays like this one just to have a chance to win one more major. As much as I've talked to Rory and interviewed him, I, I was moved and struck by that statement. What did you make of that statement? I thought it was very powerful. It is very powerful. It seems like almost everything Rory says is, is very powerful. He's become the spokesman of the game, and you guys were talking about Tiger in his new election on the policy board, how uh, players like Charlie Hoffman or Webb Simpson feel about him. I, I mean, Rory, he's so powerful. I think a lot of players may be jealous of that uh, because he's correct a lot of times. He, he, he can look in the mirror at what he believes in uh, every single day. Uh, and I, he knows the history of the golf well enough, Damon, to know that uh, his score, his winning, his second-place score at the U.S. Open at LACC would have won a lot of other U.S. Opens, maybe every other one except for Kepka's at Aaron Hills. Um, and it, the great play of Wyndham Clark, the chip shots that he made on the back nine to get up and down. Um, sometimes people get stolen. Um, those things get stolen away from a player. And, and Rory really didn't have to hang his head on anything there. And this is going to make him come out even stronger and better, in my opinion. Brad, you are so closely associated with one club in the bag. Does it bother you that when people assume that all of the success you had as a player was just born from one club? Sometimes I think about that. You have to have some ability to get it from A to B out here on the tour. It's not just making putts. And what, what, what I didn't know, and maybe probably better that I didn't know it when, when I was playing in the 90s, was the data that's available now to the players would show how much more important the tee to green game is than the putting green uh, putting is. And, you know, I just saw Cam Young here. I'm at old Palm where I live and he was out hitting balls um, and he's played pretty darn good for not having putting stats. So has Scotty Scheffler, um, if I had ever known how important it was hitting a tee to green, I might, I might've been a lot worse, but I had times in my career where, yeah, I could feel like the driver was a strength. I mean, I felt like, it never really hurt me for a long period of time. Um, but I don't mind being known as a putting guy. I mean, there's a lot of great players that were really good at putting. Ben Crenshaw comes to mind um, that didn't get into the instruction side of it. But um, this is a really new challenge uh, to, to feel like I can try and help someone just because <laughs> I was good at something doesn't guarantee that. And um, I know I failed a lot with you, Eamon, on the putting green. But at least you got one of my putters. Well, true, but I never took a full swing lesson from you, Brad. How many teachers have you actually paid for a lesson in your career? Leaving aside the guys that you got a tip from that you didn't actually have to pay, how many times did you write a check for a teacher? It, it, it's, I, I showed it to Shambly last week over at the 
Open Championship, and it got into the hundreds. I've, I've, I've paid over 100 different instructors, um, and I, I'm sure if any of those instructors are listening now that didn't get paid, uh, the statute of limitations has run out. I'm not writing any more checks, but uh, I, I like learning. Um, I, I had three or four of those instructors that I stayed with for more than a minute that, that helped me over a long period of time, so it wasn't a waste of time. Well, you're a long way away from your school years, Brad, and we're going to put you on the spot with a little Tuesday trivia about oh, your no. own career. So I hope you're ready for this. And, you know, we talk a lot about your putting. We're going to do it again. So what years did you lead the PGA Tour in putting average? I think I did it three years, and I would say 97, 98, and 2000, maybe 2001. So close. Um, Very close. 96, 99, and 2000. I mean, you're sniffing all around it. I'm the, is, that, is, that, uh, is that a good? Is that, is that a check mark or no? What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think we'd give him a half. We'll give you a half. Okay. He is 62. Right, so, I mean, wait, just one thing there. The, um, I was 36, 7, and 9 on those three years. So people ask me, this is what bugs me. You were born with it, Brad. You were just born a great putter. Mm. I mean, there's proof here that you can get into your 30s and even into your 40s and become better. What about your 50s? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> uh, 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 60s. Right. Here's your next question, Brad. That's what good. was your putts per green in regulation average during that 2000 season? 1.704. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> He doesn't know what he had for breakfast this morning, but he can pull up that yeah. number from 23 years ago. Nailed it, noser. They call it. Wow. Yeah, that, does, that used to lead. I don't know if that's still ahead. Oh, I, I got to think so. For, for all time. Crazy. I These greens time, are the best. That was awesome. All right, let's see if you can do it again now. I know your guilty pleasure is haagen milkshakes, according to your PGA Tour bio anyway. So we want to know how many <laughs> flavors of haagen ice cream are there? Oh, boy. I, I've moved on from Hagen dazs <laughs> to a couple different companies now. Um, uh, well, when you're making milkshakes, th there's really only three. There's chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. But there's got to be um, – I'm guessing there's less than Baskin-Robbins. So I'd say 23. No, you got to double it. 46. 46. <clears throat> wow. 46. Okay, the last question. Okay. and. I already know the answer to this, Brad, but I want to hear you say it on national television. What's your personal You're record for most visits to the port john during a round on the PGA Tour? You're not asking me that. He um, just did. Does it have to? Um, all right, well, I can tell you it, it happened in the 1991 Buick Open. My great friends that I stayed with, Nick Logan and, and Joanne, uh, pizza and beer the night before. Uh, I didn't know I was like lactose intolerant. I didn't know I was gluten aller uh, allergic. Um, but that first two rounds, I played with Andy North on that first round on Thursday, seven sprints to the to to toilet. Uh, and the port are not pleasant. And uh, I actually had to take something called low modal, which I'd never heard of before, to stop it. And uh, I was later told that that was the reason why I won the tournament, because it relaxed me. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that awful? We're talking about this. Leave it to Eamon to, to take us to the Port of John. I wonder why. I mean, <laughs> Thanks, Eamon. That was the weekend. Oh, I got, I got a, I, at least I got it correct. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he, he did shoot 61 that week and he won the tournament. I just wonder why he didn't have pizza and beer every week. Ah, well, he's lactose intolerant, <laughs> as we know. I don't know how you had all that ice cream if you were lactose yeah. intolerant. Buddy, happy Seriously. birthday, man. It's great to see you. We love having you as a colleague on NBC, as you know. Enjoy it. I hope you have some good red wine tonight. Eamon, I appreciate it. There might be a glass or two involved in there. And, Eamon, it's nice to see you. Uh, you would like being here right now at Old Palm. Uh, there's a big junior tournament here with the PGA section down in Southport. Charlie Woods was out practicing this morning. I just saw him. Cam Young, who is not playing in the junior tournament, was out here practicing because it's one of the few ranges that's open right now with all the restorations going on. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Actually, Tiger's been out here the last few days with Charlie, giving him lessons. Wow. That's pretty cool. You know, I don't like too many yeah. people in my dispersion pattern on my range, Brad, so it's probably good I'm not there. Well, I saw Mark Hackett, uh, your, your, one of your many teachers, Eamon. He said, Eamon's not coming down here. There's not enough room on the range for him right now. For him or his oh, swing boy. thoughts. They don't have to be deep. <laughs> it's just nice got to be wide. Thank you, Fax. We'll speak to you soon, buddy. Happy birthday. Nice talking to you. Thank you.
All right, folks, as golf today rolls on, we're officially on Bubble Watch. What's the trouble, Bubble? Yeah, last week of the PGA Tour regular season arrives in Greensboro. Who's in and who's out for the FedEx Cup playoffs? Todd Lewis catching up with some of the guys who need to make a move. With more on some of these bubble players, let's welcome back Todd Lewis. Hey, T. Lou. Hi there, Damon. Yes, this is the first year that the PGA Tour has allowed just the top 70 in the FedEx Cup standings to make it to the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, yes, there is still tension here. But guys who felt like they've had a pretty consistent year really still have to play well to get inside that top 70. And for those players who are outside looking in, heading into this championship, well, the playoffs have already started. Yeah, in a way it does. Um, if I make it, it'll be a bonus. Um, but I'm not too far away now. What kind of attitude do you bring to this tournament, given your position? I think um, I'm going to just treat it like a normal tournament. But, um, yeah, obviously there's a bit more on the line for me than maybe some other guys. But, um, yeah, if I, if I just play my normal game, I'll be fine. I, I know some players like to, to leaderboard watch and so on. Are you a FedEx Cup standings watcher and seeing where, where you may be as you progress through the tournament? Projecting yeah, in a, in a way, yeah. Um, it's so strong out here. If you don't play or if you don't play well, you always drop like four or five spots. So um, top 20 and top 10 finishes are so big. You, that's where you really make your moves, I feel like. And finally, pressure means a lot. It doesn't matter what level you play at. Yeah. How do you embrace pressure? I love it. That's why we're here. You know, I wouldn't want to be in any other spot. I, well, I'd love to be a little higher, obviously. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's why we're here. It's why we practice. Yeah. You know, uh, to be honest, I haven't even thought long and hard about the playoffs for several months now just knowing where my game was and knowing um, you know I, I was really behind the eight ball I knew it was gonna be tough and uh, I've just been more or less focused on uh, getting the game back to where it was where I want it to be and, and, and sort of just keep building slowly and slow, slowly from there uh, and so it was nice to see a good good week last week and you know if if the game started coming back and I started playing well and started having better finishes and that that got me into the playoffs and um, you know I looked at it as an icing on the cake after the way this year has been. Where do you think you are in the process of being the player you want to be? Oh I'm closer now. Uh, I think the last month has been a lot better. I know the results haven't showed it but I think since the whole memorial situation um, I think I've just uh, you know the game's been a lot better. The way the where I've been mentally and everything uh, is starting to come back. Um, still nowhere where I would like to be uh, but at least I finally feel like I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward instead of sort of being stalled or, or going backwards. So that's, uh, that's a positive. But like I said, still need, um, still just need to keep working on the game, keep getting better. And, and uh, from there, uh, everything else will take care of itself. Yes and no. I mean, I kind of have to play my way into next week, and I know that. But, uh, you know, I mean, just try to treat every week like, like, the, uh, like the others. So, so you don't see this as you, you don't embrace what you need to do here. You just it's just a, a normal week. Yeah, I mean the goal stays the same, just trying to go out and play well. Um, but I mean, I guess in the back of your mind, you're always kind of thinking about it. But uh, I think the guys that kind of block it out and just try and go hit shot after shot um, probably be pretty successful. Is that easy to do? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm I'm a rookie. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But um, you know, I'm pretty happy I mean I have, I have a chance to play my way into the playoffs I mean a lot of um, a lot of players don't really have the ability to do that this week so I'm, I'm just thankful to be able to be able to do that yeah you've had a nice season considering where you are in the FedEx Cup rankings and that shows off consistency what do you feel like you've done well this season uh, I mean I got off to a great start um, and you know I felt like that kind of set me up for the rest of the year and then I kind of hit a lull these past few months had some off-course stuff but um, you know Played well at a Rocket Mortgage and John Deere, so now just trying to finish it out strong and play my way into Memphis. Well, as you can tell, some players are embracing the moment, absorbing the pressure of trying to make it to the FedEx Cup playoffs. Others are treating this like any other tournament. There are some, though, that didn't even want to talk to us on camera about trying to play themselves into the FedEx Cup playoffs. This golf course is volatile. You won't hit a lot of drivers here. It's tree-lined. The greens are the biggest defense. It's a Donald Ross layout, a lot of back-to-front slope of these greens with tremendous movement. 
And when I say it's volatile, you can get anything from the 80s to something in the 50s. Yes, there's been a 59 here. All right, Damon and Amon, since you were quizzing Brad Faxon, let's put you on the spot. Who shot a 59 here last at the Wyndham Championship? Can you tell me? Mm. Wasn't Stewie Appleby. That was a green no. shot. Oh, gosh, I should know this. Uh, uh, uh. He's a two-time winner of this tournament. Oh, Brad Snedeker. Brant Snedeker, 2018. Way to go, David. Oh, ho, ho, ho. The hill right Sneds, baby. Thanks, Todd. It's always nice to get an update on guys who are feeling slightly more stressed about the game than we are. You got it. Well, there are a few dynasties in this game, and our next guest, certainly part of one of them, at least on the media side, Ron Green Jr. He knows North Carolina golf the way Brandel Chambly knows a thesaurus. He's going to be here to talk to Wyndham, coming up next. We're back on golf today, and with the PGA Tour in Greensboro, it's only fitting that we catch up with a North Carolina native and journalist Ron Green Jr., the recipient of the 2023 PGA of America Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism. Just one of the best to ever do it. Just say it plainly, 23 years as a sports writer at the Charlotte Observer. Smooth golf swing, by the way, now in his 11th year with the Global Golf Post. President of the Golf Writers Association of America from 19 to 21. And Eamon, as you mentioned, that 2023 PGA of America Journalism Lifetime Achievement Award. And Ron Green Jr. joins us from the Wyndham. It's great to see you. You covered Tiger Woods' height of power. We learned today he's going to be on the policy board. What do you make of what I think is a pretty... Big-time news in the game today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I just keep We keep getting surprise after surprise. Here we are, what, August 1st? Think back to where we were June 1st and how the whole golf world sort of has changed since then. And uh, I think the news today about Tiger joining the policy board speaks to the gravity of the moment and the player's intention that, you know, we keep hearing talk about this being a player-run tour. Well, I don't think there's not a bigger player than Tiger Woods. And when he's going to take a seat at the table, I think that just sort of tells you how important the next few weeks, months are and what all this means to him and others. When you see that press release, Ron, where 41 players are named as kind of signing on as endorsers of this move, does that seem to you like mutual reform between the, the tour and its members or does that seem like a player rebellion? I think it seems like, uh, hey, we really like you guys, but here's what we're going to do. You pulled, you, you told us, whatever, a few weeks ago what we were going to do. Now we're going to tell you how we're going to do it and what we want to do. You know, I think Jay Monahan, when he uh, released the memo last week, obviously that was an effort, a step toward transparency, uh, agreeing not to uh, endorse the uh, model local rule thing. Looked like a nod to the players who had voiced their uh, displeasure at that. And now this, I think the players say, all right, we want to control this. We want to have a say. Uh, there's a lot of, thing, lot of directions things could go right now, and we want to be the ones who decide how it gets there. Uh, I mean, again, two months ago, I didn't, we didn't know all this was going to be like it is now. I don't know quite what it's going to look like in two months down the road, but I think having Tiger there, I think he generally cares about the direction of the tour and what it means. Um, and so, you know, one more, show, one more surprise after another. Let's shift the focus a little bit to the Wyndham Championship where you are this week at Sedgefield Country Club. There are a lot of events that have kind of seen their fortunes rise and fall in this new designated event era. But the Wyndham Championship certainly doesn't seem to be one that suffered based on the, the buzz around it this week, plus a look at the list of the field. You're right. I think for a tournament that was virtually gone, I mean literally days away from being gone about 15, 17 years ago, the way they've sort of resurrected this event, uh, bringing it back to Sedgefield, where I ironically saw my first ever golf tournament in person. I won't tell you how long ago, but Sam Snead won it. Uh, you know, to have done what they've done with what would not be an enviable date and turn it into something special, is they've really done a great job. And I think the cut to 70 making the playoffs was a really good move. Now, if you're outside the top 70 right now, you probably don't like it. But I think it's added some gravitas. I mean, they've got this Margaritaville Pavilion here. They have the sandcastles. And I think if they wanted to change their slogan, it could be something to the effect of the playoffs really start here because that's what it feels like this week. 
Junior, what do you expect from Justin Thomas this week, who played in his PJ Tour event at the age of 16, uh, where you're standing now? He's got some ups and downs, missed five of his last seven cuts. This is kind of a last-chance saloon for him. Yeah, I mean, talking to him today, he sounds remarkably upbeat. He sounds like a guy who thinks something good's about to happen. And I think it's easy in golf, especially when it's not going well, to think the other way. You know, it's the old adage, when you're playing well, you think you're never going to lose it. And when you don't have it, you think you're never going to find it again. He sounds like a guy who thinks it's right there, like almost like he's just got to open the right door, maybe see a few putts fall. Uh, you know, he, he's talking about embracing this moment. I mean, if he doesn't make it this week, obviously he's got three weeks off and there's a Ryder Cup uh, looming in the distance. So uh, I expect him to play well, but as Justin himself said, I thought I was going to play really well at the U.S. Open, and I finished nearly last. So that's golf. But I'm encouraged by at least listening to him, his body language, uh, the way he's talking, that he thinks a good, something good's about to happen. Well, I know this is a special week for you, Junior. We're looking forward to your stories in the Global Golf Post. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Well, all right, folks, up next, stay with us after the break. Lee Hodges, a winner by 7 at the 3M. Top songs off today. Lee joins us from his home in Athens. The champ, congratulations. It's winning on the PJ Tour is special, but to win by seven, what was working best? Physical, mental, emotional? What was it? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of it all, um, but especially mentally. I, man, I, I've never been so kind of locked in and just super focused on the next shot. Like, that's all I was thinking about walking down the fairways was – uh, the next shot I had to hit, and um, super proud of myself for doing that. Where does that calm come from, Lee? Because we almost every week we see guys in, in those circumstances who haven't been there before, and it's not uncommon for them to get a little wobbly. You didn't show any signs of that. Um, I mean, I think it's just perspective. I think I have a good perspective on the game. Um, I, I know I play a game for a living, uh, and I'm just super blessed to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where it comes from, um, just being super grateful to be out there. And, um, you know, we practice to be in the position that I was in on Sunday. That's why we do all our work, and that's why we train so hard. And, you know, I just really wanted to take advantage of it and enjoy the whole time. I want to go back to Saturday night. You're with your wife, Savannah, your high school sweetheart. You said you had ice cream, a, a nice dinner. You kept things kind of casual. I mean, my heart would have been thumping out of my chest. What do you remember about that Saturday evening? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. I was just, just kind of comfortable. Like, I just, you know, I took, we went to dinner. We, She wanted some ice cream, so I took <laughs> her to get some ice cream. And, you know, anytime that night, I would just, I would let my mind wander. I just, I just really just focused on, sounds crazy, but all I would think about was the tee shot on number one. That's all I would think about was where I was going to hit the tee shot on number one because I knew that was the next shot I had to hit. And, um, yeah, I mean, it worked out, and I was just – I'm super grateful. Lee, we've spent a lot of time today talking about the top 70 making the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. Last week, you were 74th entering the 3M Open. How much was that on your mind in trying to crack the top 70 over these last couple of weeks? Yeah, it definitely was. Um, but, you know, I've always played by the mantra of good golf gets rewarded. Uh, and that's all I could do is play good golf. Um, if I just, you know, trying harder or trying to make the playoffs wasn't going to do it for me, good golf was going to do it for me. So all I had to do was keep trusting in the process that me and my team have been doing and keep playing good golf. What kept you from being frustrated through the years or were you not frustrated? Why did everything come together this week? How did it all kind of coalesce? In such a in such a huge, monumental way. I mean, I I think it's just years of hard work. You know, the last week didn't happen over a week or, or or two weeks. You know, I think it was 20 years of hard work in the making. And I've got an unbelievable team around me in every aspect uh, that I need in life right now. And you know, we've all been putting in a lot of hard work, and we've been doing all the right things. And man, yeah, it just all came together. We, you know, I felt like it was going to come at some point. Um, I just didn't know when, I just, but I knew we were doing the right things. Confidence can be really fleeting in this game, Lee. And since you tied sixth at the Valero Texas Open back in April, the results have been a little bit hit and miss. But you did tie for 12th at both the Memorial and the Genesis Scottish Open against two pretty strong fields. 
do results like mm. that give you a little bit of confidence, that, more confidence than you might think from finishing tight 12 against that kind of caliber of competition? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think I think if you go back and look at, you know, my golf, I think I've always played better on the harder stages, like the harder golf courses. Um, why? I don't know. You know, I'm sure stats will tell you why. I don't and I'm a, I'm a good ball striker and I keep in the fairway a lot. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it on those hard golf courses. But um, yeah, no, it gives me a ton of confidence, you know, playing well in big events. You know, that's why we play the game is to play well on the biggest stages. So, um, yeah, it gives me a ton of confidence. Lee, there are two people that when they flash across my Instagram page, I'm going to listen to what they say. One is the late great Kobe Bryant. The other is Nick Saban, the football coach at yeah. Alabama. What did you learn just from being at that school, in that program? J.C. Well, it's a school of champions. What did you learn just in your college career? Yeah, no, I mean, Alabama, you know, their motto is, you know, we, we build champions. So, uh it's it's an unbelievable place. I wouldn't trade my two years there for anything in the world. Um, I made some of my best friends, and um, Coach Sewell really, you know, kind of took a took a decent golfer and helped me turn into a, a pretty nice golfer and, and an even better person. That's you know that's why I thank Coach so much. Is you know he he invests in our golf, but he also invests in our life, and um, he's he's always there for us if we need him. He's he's an unbelievable person. Well, it was fun to watch, Lee. Seven-shot win for your first PGA Tour victory. Congratulations. Enjoy the, the downtime at home. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.